We are in a series in the life of Joseph. We've called it the test because there are several tests that Joseph had to go through to, to fulfill his destiny or step into his potential. And so in just a way of reminder, if you've not been here, the, I think the best thing about this series is, is that we're, it's correlated with a small group study. So you come to church on Sunday, you listen to it. If for some reason you can't be in church on Sunday, you watch it online, and then you go to your group and you go further and you go deeper and you discuss it more. And I, I'm just hearing good reports of that, that good things are happening. So I'm excited about that. But Joseph got a dream from God when he was 17. And I don't know, maybe you don't feel like I've never had a dream for God. Dream or no dream, God has a destiny for your life. He has a potential, has a preferred future. He wants you to do something, to fulfill something that, that is unique to you. But as you go along, you're going to have to go through some tests. Joseph was 17. He, he stepped into his destiny at 30. He didn't fulfill his destiny until he was in his mid-40s. So there's a process that, that God wants to mature you, make you complete and mature, not lacking in anything. And, and Joseph, he went through these series of tests because your character has to be able to sustain what God wants to do. If your character is weak, then, then the foundation won't be able to support the things that God wants to accomplish in your life. So character is so important. So you go through these character tests to develop into what God wants you to be. And Joseph, at 17, God identified, God knew he had some pride. He had some issues with, I'm better than. He was always calling out his brothers. He was always uh, uh, showing off his favorite position. He was always talking of himself above everybody else. And so God says that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. If you don't humble yourself, I will. Joseph refused to humble himself, and he got thrown into a pit. His brothers threw him into the pit, but while he was in the pit, he had an opportunity to, to allow God to, to change him, to transform him. It was in the pit where he quit justifying, rationalizing, casting blame, but he looked inward and said, maybe I'm part of the problem. Maybe the issue might be with me. And the Holy Spirit convicted him, and he realized that he struggled with pride. And so in the pit, he began to cry out to God, and God always responds when we cry out. He always responds with mercy and grace. And Joseph said, God, forgive me for my pride and my arrogance. I don't want to live like that. I don't want to be like that. Will you help me? I, I want to depend on you. I want to trust in you completely. I don't, want to, I don't want to depend on my talent, my ability, my giftings. I want you, God. I just want more of you. And when you repent, something begins to change. And that's what repentance is. It's a change of thinking, and it's a change of heart, and it's a change of direction. And so J Joseph started to really consider his pride and its sin, and his heart began to change. I need Jesus and his direction. I'm not going to walk in this pride anymore. I'm going I'm to depend on God. And when you begin to repent, it begins to change the heart of God. It begins to change your situation. And these boys, his brothers, were headed to their next destination. But I think on the direction of the Holy Spirit, they turn around, and they go fetch Joseph out of the pit. And they save his life, but they sell him to the Midianites, which is a slave trading group. And they take him to Egypt, and he's on the slave blocks, and Pharaoh, one of Pharaoh's officials, there's, there, there is, uh, there, I'm sorry, there's Pharaoh, which is the top dog, and then there's Potiphar's, which are uh, the, kind of the next in line. And one of Potiphar's guys sees Joseph, and, they, and they, they buy him, and he comes into the house, and everything that Joseph touches is successful. Everything that he, in, in so, so, so much that, that, that Pharaoh, that Potiphar says, I'm going to put him in charge of everything. The only thing I'm going to concern myself with is what I eat. Everything else is under the care of Joseph. And, and, and how many want God to do that in your life, to prosper you, the word is. Joseph was pro. It means to push along, 
to make you successful in the things that you do. And Joseph, well, if you want to be successful, you got to have God's presence. I'm not talking about heaven or hell. I'm, talking about, I'm not talking about salvation or not. I'm talking about God's favor. God's, God's pushing you. God's elevating you. God's promoting you. you got to have. The only thing that can do that is God's presence in your life. And the only way you can have the presence of God in your life is if you walk with God. And the only way you can walk with God is if you obey God. And the only way you can obey God is if you believe God. That if you believe his word and his promises. And the only way you can believe God is if you hear God's word. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So last week we concluded, if we'll be students of God's word, if we'll listen to it, if we'll sing it, if we'll, if we'll meditate on it, if we'll read it, if we'll pray it, then, then that will build faith. And faith builds belief, and belief causes us to obey. And if we're obeying, we're walking with God. And when we're walking with God, we'll experience His presence. And when we're walking in His presence, we'll, we'll experience His blessing, His favor, His grace. He'll push us forward. That's good. That's real good. You, may, you might not think so, but that's real good. You know what I want? I want, the, I, want, I want everything I touch to be successful. I'm not talking about rich. I'm not talking about drive a Cadillac. I'm talking about I want people to notice that God is with that fella. And the only way that can happen is if I'm walking with him. And I just told you how. So I won't have to tell you again. But then he gets out. He gets out. Uh, now he's still in the palace. And we come to the purity test. And you're going to have to face this test too. It's the, the purity test. And, and then before I even get into the, I've already started preaching, but I'm not getting today's message. How many are married today? Would you raise your hand? I just want to see who I'm talking to. Married. Happily married, you're married, some enduring marriage. Yeah, you, you're married. How many are single and one day you'd want to be married? You'd like to be married one day, hands held up. Will you keep your hand up a minute? Will you just scan the room? And if your eyes connect with somebody that there could be something, the only thing I ask is if you name your first son Stanley after your pastor, that would, that would be a blessing. How many, don't answer this question, but, but how many are... Are, are, are thinking or are wanting or, I mean, it's on your bucket list that you're going to have an affair, that you're going to cheat on your wife, that you're going to live immoral, that you're going to get addicted to pornography. And I don't want you to raise your hand, but I, I'm pretty sure to say nobody would say, say I do. And the next question is, well, does it really matter? Does it matter how many beds I sleep in before I'm married? Does it matter how promiscuous I am, how, how, how sexually active I am uh, before marriage? Does it matter what I do in the office, does it matter if I, if I flirt with somebody, if I brush up against uh, somebody of the opposite sex, if, I, if I'm talking to them about my marriage, about things, does it, does it matter? Does it matter if I'm holy and blameless and righteous? Does, does, does it matter what I look at? Does God care if I look at porn one day a week, one day a month, one day, month a year, one year, whatever? Does he, does he care? And this is what Paul said. Paul said, for I want you to understand what really matters. Will you say that really matters? One, two, three. Really matters. I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ Jesus. Here's what Paul's saying. God's coming back. He's sending his son. He's going to rescue his bride. He's going to take us back to be with him in heaven. And, and until he comes, here's what really matters. I know you think your job's important. and I know you've you got a lot of priorities and a lot of things that are on your mind. But what really matters is that you live pure and blameless because God's coming back. And you'll want to honor him. So according to the word of God, it does matter. And today I want to dive into to a little bit why it matters and using the life of Joseph, how you, can, how you can live pure in an ungodly culture. Now, Joseph was well-built and handsome. He's been taken out of the pit. He's been brought to Potiphar's house. He's been elevated, been given everything under his control. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said to him, come to bed with me. But he refused. 
With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. He's given it all. No one is greater in this house than I am. And my master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? I, I want you to just get this as we're reading this. God, Joseph calls immorality a wicked thing, a sin against God. I don't know where you classify or rank. I don't know who you've been listening to or thinking about. But when it comes to immorality concerning God's word and what he calls it, it's a wicked thing. It is a sin against God. Sexual sin is serious. And though she spoke to Joseph day after day. And I, I don't want you to, I need you to know uh, uh, Potiphar's wife was not Potiphar's wife because she was good at math. She was Potiphar's wife because she was a really, really good looking woman. I mean, she, and day after day, she kept coming after him. You know, you know what I'm hearing in this scripture and what I'm implying and what I'm taking from this? Sexual sin is a struggle. It doesn't relent. It doesn't give up. It doesn't quit. There's going to, especially in the culture we live in, it, it just keeps coming after you. It, it is a struggle. It's, she just kept coming to him day after day. But he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. It, she's just trying to wear him out. I mean, I can just, if I just keep coming, keep coming, one day his defenses are going to be low and he's going to give in. One day he went into the house to attend his duties and none of the household servants were inside. So it was just him and, and this beautiful woman that has been coming on to him day after day after day. And she caught him by his coat and she said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and he ran out of the house. Sexual sin is serious. I told you that. Sexual sin is a struggle. We'll talk about that. But ran out of the house, sexual sin can be overcome. You can overcome it. Will you bow your heads for just a minute and close your eyes? And I want us to pray. Lord, I thank you for your word today and the topic we're about to study. And I just pray that we'd open up our hearts and minds. And God, that we would be students and that we would have faith, God, today in you and in your promises. That we would would filter our lesson this morning through the context that you're for us and not against us. That you want what's best for us, Lord. And I pray that we would let our defensives down and we would open up to your word and to your will. And today you change us by your grace. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Here's my first point. Sexual sin is a struggle. And, and I think the, 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 it's just more of a struggle today than maybe it's ever been. And it's just the technology that we have. Uh, you, you, you can, you, there's Facebook, which Facebook is a great thing. It's a great tool. But I hear more people connecting with an old lover, an old high school sweetheart on Facebook and destroying marriages. I mean, it's kind of prevalent right now. You can go on Craigslist on your internet. You can get a screwdriver, a used tire, and a prostitute at a, at a, at a, at a click of your finger. When I was a kid, if you wanted to look at porn, you had to sneak across to your friend's house who maybe his daddy had Playboy. And he would have a stash somewhere hidden in an upper-level closet or in an attic. And you had to wait till his mama left, which was next to never because mom was always home. And you would, you would sneak into the house and you would try to rummage through all this stuff. And if, you, and, if, and if you're mine, if you got lucky enough, you'd find a Playboy and you'd hide behind something and look at it. Now you got an iPad, an iPhone, a computer. It's one click of a button. Nobody knows. Nobody can see. There's no, I mean, it's just, it's just ride out. In the open, sexual sin is a struggle. Nobody's doubting that. Nobody is even just, just uh, saying it's not. Even in the day we live in, people are waiting longer till they get married. And that's not bad in and itself. It just can cause more struggles. It can cause more issues. And the problem with our culture is they're not just waiting to get married later, but they're doing married things while they're not married. So, hey, just come over to my house. You can leave your clothes 
just sleep over tonight. I got an extra toothbrush. And then eventually it's just move in. And they're acting like they're married when they're not married. And, and I, I, just, I, I just want just to remind you and to, and to let you know you don't build a life of purity on a foundation of sin. If you want to honor God, you don't start it out on the wrong foundation. You want to start it out on the right thing. We are just our, our growing sense of entitlement. We have an attitude in today's culture that says, I deserve, I want, and if it feels good, I'm going to do it. It's just not sexuality. It's everything. I mean, we feel like everybody owes us everything. That's why I think we can get so angry. And so uh, just whatever, we got a sense of entitlement. And then also just our culture. Our culture has just made sex casual. Uh, our, 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 the programming has has glorified it. It, You know, you always see sexual encounters. The lights are always dim. The music's always playing. The hearts are always pumping. I mean, they just portray it in a way that it's better outside of marriage. And, and, and I just, I mean, you know this, but sexual sin is a struggle. And though 90% of Americans say that, that, that adultery is wrong, 75% are involved in some kind of sin, sexual sin, outside, they're getting gratif- sexual gratification outside of their relationship with their spouse. And, and since in 19, from 1998 to 2008, adultery increased 50% in America. So, so it's a struggle. I mean, it's a reality that we live in day after day. Sexual sin is serious. Joseph said, it is a great wickedness. It is a great wickedness. It is a sin against God. Here's, here's how Paul said it. Marriage should be honored by all. And I, I highlighted by all because it doesn't matter if you're married or you're not married, it ought to be honored. If you're married, you ought to honor your marriage. If you're not married, you ought to honor the marriage that one day you hope to be involved in. It ought to be honored by all. And the marriage bed kept pure. That, that just means that, that, that God's given us the gift of sex and it ought to happen in the context of marriage. For God will judge the adulterer and all the sexual immoral. And, and what he's saying, judge, he's not stirring up some brew where if you mess up, he's going to dump it on you. The results of your sin are going to cause consequences. And sexual sin brings consequences, as does other sins. But it seems to be sexual sin causes more consequences. So, so by the very act of what you're doing, you're, you're, there's going to be some judgment because if you sow to the wind, you'll reap the whirlwind. If you sow to sin, you're going to reap destruction. If you sow to the Spirit, you're going to reap eternal life. What you sow to, that's what you'll reap. If you sow to this great wickedness, sexual, this, this immorality, then, then you're going to reap the effects of that. It's going to affect your family. And again, I know we've been told, oh, it won't affect anybody. You're an island. You're by yourself. It won't hurt the kids. It won't hurt. It won't hurt anything. It's a lie. The enemy is blinded. It, it, it messes up families. It ruins homes. And there, there are, I, again, I don't want to put, I don't, if you've been in an adulterous affair, I'm not trying to put salt in an open wound. You know, if you listen to me long enough and I'll talk about it, there's grace and there's mercy, but I'm trying to protect you that have not, it's not what the world makes it out or paints it to be. There is pain. There is heartache. There is destruction. Your kids will suffer the consequences of your sin. It will affect your marriage. Either if you're married now, obviously, or your future marriage. Because it, with, with immorality, there's more than just sexual sin. To be immoral, you got to be deceitful. you got to be deceptive. And, you, you, and, and, and those two things, they erode trust, which is the foundation of marriage. And, and eventually, they will cause you not to, to be, it'll, it'll ruin your intimacy. And, and, and you, sexual sin 
is serious. And here, here's how it'll affect you in the future. Before you're married, you got to sneak around to have sex. To, to, you, you, you just, so, so if you're going on a date and your parents ask you, where are you going? What are you doing? Your response is, oh, we're going to have sex. We'll be back at 11. You don't say that because your parents would make you stay at home. You sneak around. And you know what comes with sneaking around? This adrenaline, this, this rush, this high that you don't, butterflies in your stomach because it's forbidden and it's exciting. And so, and so it's, it's forbidden and exciting. And now you say, well, now I say I do and everything's going to change. And, you, and now the sexual relationship starts with your wife. But you're not sneaking around anymore because you don't have to because now it's legal and now it's okay. But you're finding out you don't get that same adrenaline rush and you don't feel those same butterflies and you're not experiencing what you did when you had to sneak around. And so because often we live by our feelings, not by our convictions, we get in our mind, well, that must be connected to love. And the reason I'm not getting this rush and the reason I'm not feeling this is because I don't love her. And we think we love the other person. And in essence, it had nothing to do with love. It had everything to do with lust. And it created this false sense of, of fulfillment and satisfaction where if you are not careful, again, if you're, I'm, I'm just warning you, I'm letting you know, it can bleed over. So, so sexual sin, it will affect your, obviously it'll affect your marriage now and it'll affect your marriage in the future. Here's what Paul said. It's God's will that you should avoid sexual immorality. That each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable. How do I do that? I'm married how do I honor my wife, Angie? I'll tell you how I honor her. If I'm, if I'm out or wherever I am and a, an attractive woman walks by, and instead of just gawking and looking, that I'll, I'll turn away. That, that's honoring my spouse. If I'm watching a show and something comes on the screen that, that I know I ought not to be looking at it, Angie in the room or not, if I want to honor her, if I want to live holy and honorable, then I'll change the channel. When I go to work, I'll be careful not to... To mess around or flirt or, or do it. I will do all I, I want to be able to say, Angie, you're the most important thing in my life. And I, I have, I've not just said that with my words, but I've declared that with my actions. I want to live holy and honorable. I want to honor you. Well, you say, well, I'm not married. Well, one day, many of you said, I want to be married. The decision, the choices you make now, you're honoring your spouse. I want you to be able to say at that altar, hey, I started honoring you long before I knew you. I started loving you before I ever was introduced to you because I made a decision that I was going to control my body and I was going to live holy and honorable. And so now I've saved myself for you and only you. I don't have, I don't have the, the past garbage holding me down. We can enter this relationship with, with, with the way the Lord wants us to. And again, I mean, I'm going to talk about grace in a minute. Let, let me just keep going. Not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God. And what if you did mess up? What if you already have, have been unholy and unhonorable to your spouse? Well, you can't change the past. But from this day forward, you can make a decision. You can start making choices that will help you do the right thing from here on out. You, you can't live through your rearview mirror. What's done is done. What's happened is happened. But, but I want you to say, hey, from, from this day forward, I made a commitment and a covenant with God and with, with my spouse or my future spouse that I was going to live holy and honorable, not, not just controlled by my flesh like, 
like somebody that can't deal with their lusts, who do not know God. For God did not call me to be impure, but to live a holy, a holy life. God wants us to be holy. Uh, immorality will affect your future. I mean, you, again, you can get through it. It's just tough. The shame, the guilt, the remorse, the pain, the wake of broken lives you've left behind, it, it is tough. What you lose in a moment takes a while to gain back. Impurity, it's serious. Here, here's, it's so serious, Paul said in Ephesians, but among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any other kind of impurity because these are improper for God's holy people. I don't want a hint of it. Look, if you went to a restaurant before and, and they poured you a glass of water and the gla glass was dirty, and I don't mean like, like it was, wasn't black, there was just like a speck, and the speck fell in the water, and it started floating in the water. Are you going to drink that? Is that you going to be okay with that? No. You're going to send the water back. You're going to ask for a refill. It's not like I just want clean. It's not like I want partially clean water. It's like I want uncontaminated water. I want, I want clean. You know, you know what Paul is saying? He's telling us. He's communicating to us. You, don't, you just don't want a little bit of poison in your marriage. You don't want any poison in your marriage. You, don't wanna, you just don't want to just wrap. Get close. You want to stay as far away. Don't even let a hint of sexual immorality. Here, let me describe it this way. Kind of gross, but I hope you remember. It, it, are there some of you who don't like your food to touch when you're eating? Like if you have mashed potatoes and chicken marsala, like if those things do touch, it's like over, game over, I'm done eating. There are some people like that. I mean, not me. I mix it all up. It's going down the same place. Doesn't matter to me. But there are some people that are real anal about that, and they can't have their food touched. And I'm not talking like, like the mashed potatoes and the chicken marsala kind of touched. And, and, and I, I'm talking about you don't want, that's it, you don't want any hint. You don't want, you don't want, I'm, a cat has come and squatted on your chicken marsala and, and had a bowel movement. There is, there is poop. That, that's the, that's, I know it's gross, but you're going to forget a lot of things, but you're not going to forget that. You're going to remember. And this is what Paul is saying. I don't want any poop in your marriage. I don't want a hint of it. I don't want just want a little bit of it. I don't want any of it. I don't want you to just have a flake of diarrhea. I don't want anything in your marriage. I want it to be clean. I want it to be uncontaminated. I want it to be holy and blameless. If you're embarrassed, just try to say this in front of people and, and not be embarrassed. But I hope you get the point. I don't want a hint of it. I don't want nothing in it. I'll say, okay, so let's just make sure we're on the same page and, and, and what we're striving for. No hint of sexual immorality or impurity. Is, is, if you're married and have sex with a secretary, is that a hint of immorality? The survey says yes. yes. If you're on Facebook and you're connecting with an old, an old girlfriend, an old boyfriend, and, and there's some emotions that are starting to stir, is that a hint of sexual immorality? Yes. If you look at pornography one day, one week, one month, once a year, is it a hint of sexual immorality? Yes, if you lust after the, the latest supermodel or, or the next athlete or the TV star, is that a hint of sexual immorality? If you're reading some romance novel, and I know we, we label it romance novel where it's really a lust novel, like Fifty Shades of Grey, it's not gray, it's black and white. It's poop in your marriage. It's a hint of sexual immorality. It will mess you up. Paul said, don't let there be a hint of sexual immorality or any other... Pastor, you're a caveman. What are you talking about? That's impossible. It's never going to happen. I'm telling you, sexual sin is serious. Sexual sin is a struggle. But sexual sin, it can be overcome. It can be. But we've got to treat it as serious. 
If we don't treat it as serious, if we don't deal with the root, we'll just continue to get the fruit. We've got to deal with sexual sin as serious. She caught him by the cloak. This hot, gorgeous woman who had been chasing him day after day, nobody's in the house, caught him by the cloak. Joseph's a single man, and he left his cloak behind him, and he ran out the house. That, that's why Paul said, flee from sexual immorality. Run, Forrest, run. Get out. Because all other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You're not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. You know where David, and, and okay, well, how do, I, how do I honor God with my body? And let's, let's look at David. Here's the first thing. If you're taking notes, don't look. And again, man, I know the pushback, the feedback. You're a caveman. You're living in the, you're living in the stone ages. What are you talking about? You know what got David in trouble? King David. All his men were out fighting. He was out on his porch looking. He was out on his porch just walking up and down. And, and he looks up, and Bathsheba's on her roof bathing. And, and David had a choice to make. Do I go back in the house? Do I shut the curtains? Do I look away? Or do I just, man, that's a beautiful thing. Look, look at God. You know, we start justifying. That's just God's creation. I'm just enjoying it. And he looked. And, and you know what happened? Look turned into lust. And lust caused him to get one of his servants to go get Bathsheba and bring her back to his house. And he slept with her. If you, if you want to stay fair, if you want to stay clear of immorality, don't look. Because looking, it brings on lust. And when lust happens, it moves towards immorality. Joseph, on the other hand, it, it says he, he, he could have. I mean, I, it doesn't give us great detail. But if he would have been looking, he would have been lusting. And he had opportunity. He knew when she was getting dressed. He knew when she was bathing. He had rule of the whole house. He managed the whole affair. He knew everything. And you don't think that woman's after him day after day after day, and she's not setting up sometimes where she's, where she's showing uh, things, where she's opening herself up. I mean, there's multiple times. The reason, the reason Joseph didn't commit uh, fornication with her is because he wasn't looking, and he hadn't allowed lust into his heart. If you look, it develops lust. And lust, when it's full-blown, goes into affairs, immorality, and issues. Our goal ought to be not to look. And I know, man, I, I, I just feel it, the kickback. It's impossible. It can't happen. Our, and this is what we want to say. How close can I get and it still be okay? How, how long can I look? Somebody said, Pastor, it's the second look that gets you in trouble. So I've just determined I'm never going to look away. So my first look is just, and that's not lust because it's not the second look. And, and, we, and we laugh, and that's funny, and, and we think it's okay. How far can I go with my boyfriend or girlfriend and not be sinned? And we're always trying to push the envelope, and we're always trying to get right up next to the edge. And that's the wrong question. If you really want to glorify and honor God, if you want to live holy and honorable, if you want to be blameless and upright, it's not how close we can get. It's how, it's how close we can get to Jesus. It's not how we're asking and doing the wrong thing. Not how close can I get to the sin, but how close can I get to God? We were at the lake the other day, and Micah was on the dock. And, and on the other side, there was the dock, and there was no railing. But there was, I'm not lying to you. If I'm lying, I'm frying. I'm telling you the honest truth. He, he, there was 40 turtles in the water. 
and they were all, it was like somebody was feeding them at one time. And so if anybody came on the dock, all these turtles, and they were decent-sized turtles, they would just start coming. I mean, you, you couldn't even hardly see the water because of the turtles. And Micah was, he was watching it, and he took another step. And I'm over there. I'm a distance away. And I said, Micah, you're getting a little bit too close, buddy. You don't want to fall in. But he just had to look at those turtles. He had, he had to get closer. So he just gets closer and closer and closer. Micah, you're getting too close. And sure enough, the joker boy fell into the water with the turtles. And you thought Peter was the only one that walked on water. Micah walked on water that day. He hopped out of that water like a bat out of you know where. I mean, he was shot out of that thing. I'm never walking on a dock again. I'm never coming to this lake again. Those turtles almost ate me. I almost died. Dad, it's your fault. What are you going to do? And I was like, Micah, it's not the water. It's not the, it's not the, it's not the dock. You got too close. If you'll just step back, you'll be okay. You know what we want? We just want to get so close. And God's saying, look, just don't, don't look at all our beer. Don't look at porn. Don't look at appropriate sites on the internet. If you look, desire is going to get stirred up. How many have ever been looking for a new car and you didn't buy it? Hey, baby, I'm going to the Honda dealer. They just got a new inventory. Looking for a truck. I'll be back. You can come back a few times. You do it enough. You're coming back with a new truck. You look, you you want, you desire, you get. I, I've been looking for a black pair of britches. I've been wanting and looking, and I didn't wear them this morning because I you knew you'd look at them. But I've been I've been looking for them. And sure enough, Friday night, I looked long enough, and I bought me a pair of black britches. Because if you look long enough, you're going to get. Looking empowers lust, and lust leads to immorality. If you're not in the market for a new car, don't go to the car lot. If you're not in the market for adultery, don't look. Alcoholics can't have a drink, and lusters can't have a look. And if we're honest, we struggle with that. I will set no wicked thing before my eyes. This is King David. This is after he had the affair with Bathsheba. You know how I think he's saying it? Ah, I should have never looked. If I wouldn't have looked, I wouldn't have been in the mess I am. But from this day forward, I'm not going to set any wicked thing before my eyes. I learned my lesson. I'm not looking. Here's what the Proverbs writer said. Hell and destruction are never full. So the eyes of the man are never satisfied. Because one looks not enough. Here's how Jesus said it. You have heard that it is said you should not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. You see the progression? There's a look and then there's lust and there's, there's adultery. If you don't want adultery, don't look. Okay, what do I do? Jesus helps us. So if your eye causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. <laughs> and thank God he doesn't mean literal because we'd all be blind and with a cane. None of us would be able to see. You know what he's, being, you know what he's saying? Be severe with sin. If there's something that causes you to sin, be severe with it. Go, go hard against it. Stay away from it. Accent, do whatever you got to take. Get it out of your life. Because it's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into, into hell. Here's how Job said it. I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a woman. That'd be a great scripture to memorize. And then we begin to train ourselves to not, to not 
look, here's another thing you got to do, confess and expose. Because if you're in sin today, if there's, if you're addicted to something, if some people don't even want to admit that they're addicted, well, I only look at it so-and-so. If it's got a hold on you, you're addicted and you need help. And the only way you can get help is if you'll confess it and expose it. Because if you leave it in the dark, it will continue to manifest. I, I, you know, you guys know how I feel about cats. They're satanic. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. The only thing I heard hate worse than cats is mice. I mean, that's the only reason I like cats, because they eat mice. So, so if there's anything good about a cat, that's one good thing. So all you cat lovers, see, I do like cats. And and, and, and there was a mouse in our garage, and, and, and you could hear it in the dark. You hear that thing. Oh, it just gives me the woolies even thinking about it. And he'd scratch, and he'd do his little thing. You turn on the light, everything went quiet. Why? Because light exposes it and causes the sin to be pushed away. You can't live in the dark and expect to be free. You've got to confess and expose it. We can help you, but but we can come alongside you, but I hope you'll find a few people that love you and you love that you can confess and open up with and they can hold you accountable. And, and, and men, I'm just thinking, it's usually men, but now probably women, come clean. Come clean. And women, when your husband or your man comes clean, can I encourage you, don't show a lot of judgment or condemnation. Try to walk in mercy because his problem is not love, his problem is lust. And the reason he came to you is because he loves you and he wants to work on the relationship and he wants to be held accountable. So really ask the Lord to help you even to respond in a way that helps you guys struggle together. I was watching uh, This Is Us. This is probably the only show Angie and I watch together. It's a fairly new show. It's been on, I think this is the second season. And I like it because all the families are jacked up and it makes my family seem almost kind of normal. And it gets, get, you know, and because we're jacked up. Every, you know what I'm talking about, Dave? We're just all jacked up. And, and it just makes me feel good that everybody's jacked up. And, and, uh, and, and this one couple are in deeply love with each other. And the man just is like Guga, Gugu over his wife. I mean, just makes over, loves her. It's very obviously obvious. But they had some conflict, and so they separate. And he's living at a friend's house, and the wife comes to get him, and she knocks on the door. And I can't even remember his name. I wish I could. But he, she goes, hey, baby, it's, it's time for you to come home. I'm tired of this mess. We don't belong apart. We belong together. Get in the car. Let's go home. Let's make up. Let's make this right. And he looks at her and says, you don't know who I am. I can't do that. I've been struggling with alcohol for a long time. I've been drunk for the last two weeks. I'm drunk right now. I can't get in that car. I can't go home until I get this thing straight and shuts the door. She knocks on the door. He opens it up. Baby, you're my my husband. I married you for richer, for poor, for better and worse, for sickness and health. Get in the car. We're going home. We're going to struggle together. That's that's my prayer for us as couples, for us as people, for us as Christians. Sexuality is a struggle. Let's struggle together. Let's let's be open to one another. Let's confess to one another. Let's encourage one another. Let, let's let's hold each other accountable. Let, let let's do let's do this thing for the glory of God. And here's the responses I can get. I can get defensive. You can get defensive. We're talking about this. He doesn't know what I'm talking about. He's a caveman. It's the it's the new era. It's a it's a new day. There's there, he shouldn't even be he shouldn't even be going down this road. She shouldn't have looked at my computer. She wasn't meeting my needs. You know what I can say to you? Drop your guard. If you're defensive today, for the most part, you're trying to rationalize or justify your sin. And just drop your guard and say, Holy Spirit, whatever you want to do in me, I want what you want. Don't be defensive today. Don't, and I'm not asking you to be in remorse or, or to be condemned, to walk in condemnation. And that's what the enemy wants. That you're a screw up. You're never going to get it right. You've messed up too long. 
your, your, your relationship, you've ruined sex forever. You're, you're never going to be right with me. You're never going to be right from, uh, with others. That's not the voice of God. That's the voice of the enemy. It's a lie. Don't listen to that. Don't do that. I'm asking you to repent. Turn from it. Repentance is a change of heart. Oh, God, I see the seriousness of sexual sin, and I don't want to go down that road anymore. I want to turn back to you. And I'm so, I'm getting away from the edge. I'm going to, I'm going to train my heart and my eyes not to look because I don't want lust in my heart. And because I know lust leads to adultery. And so, and so, God, I'm not seeing how close I can get. I'm seeing how far away I can get. And, God, I just want to honor you, and I want to bless you, and I want to serve you. Because sexual sin is a struggle, and sexual sin is serious. But sexual sin can be overcome. So here's my prayer. Let's fight together. Let's finish the race together. Let's keep the faith together. Let's pursue God in his ways. Let's get back up after failure. Let's make God's word our God. God, let's make it our aim to please him. Let's learn to control our bodies and to live holy and honorable. Although we live in this world, let's not live like the world. If Jesus thought I was worth dying for, he's worth living for. Amen, everybody. Amen. Stand to your feet with me, will you? This is what I know today. The answer to every struggle you're dealing with is more of Jesus. Your marriage is a wreck. The answer is more of Jesus. Your your job is in dire whatever. The answer is more of Jesus. You're struggling with sexual sin. The answer is more of Jesus. It's not more discipline. It's not more effort. It's not more gritting your teeth. It's more of Jesus. It's more of the Holy Spirit in your life. And so will you, will you with me, will you just lift your hands and will you declare, Jesus, I need more of you. Holy Spirit, I need you to fill me. If I'm going to step into my destiny, if I'm going to fulfill my potential, if I'm going to be the parent, the spouse, the employer, the employee, the person you want me to be, I need more of you, God. I need more of you, Jesus. Oh, Holy Spirit, forgive me and free me and fill me today.